This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, today is uh, Memorial Day weekend. It's the uh, unofficial start of summer, right? Summer starts somewhere else in the month of June. I don't know. They always come along. Somebody does. They come along and say, today's the first day of summer. And after we've been through Memorial Day, you're like, I thought we already had that. But no, it, it happens sometime in June. But this begins all of the festivities, Memorial Day weekend. I, as a kid, loved Memorial Day weekend uh, because it meant it was a clear sign and a clear indicator that we were soon to be done with school. And I could not wait to get out of school. Um, some people give me grief today because they think I, I love to go around handing out books because I love to read. Well, let me tell you what. By the time I graduated high school, I had read six books. Six books, count them, six books. I can tell you which six books they were, but I won't right now. But I did not like school. I didn't like to read. Those things were like foreign entities to me. I wanted to play. I wanted to be outside. And Memorial Day was like, thank God Almighty, the days of being trapped in this building are almost over. And so we were going to be out of school. It was going to be a good thing. Uh, The other thing that... Uh, was significant about Memorial Day for for my own life was this. It was a day that um, in some ways was a a day we were going to spend with family, and yet it was also a day when our family would be called to attend, to pay attention to something that had touched our family deeply. In fact, there was a, a deep wound, and it was a wound that our family shared with a lot of other people in our world. And that was the wound of, of losing somebody from our own family to, to a conflict that our country had been involved in. And so Memorial Day was this marker that school was almost out. And yet it was also a, a marker, a very serious marker within our own life. We knew what Memorial Day meant. And it had a deep and profound meaning on us. Most Memorial Day mornings would go something like this. We would... We'd wake up, we'd rise early. On, on a day off of school, you think that you get to sleep in, but not on Memorial Day. We'd get up early, get chores done, and then we would head off to the local cemetery. And at the local cemetery, there would be a service. The Daughters of the American Revolution would be there, along with lots of other folks from different places. And the Daughters of the American Revolution would read things like uh, they'd read the Gettysburg Address. And they picked out a, a story from, or a poem from, that came from World War I called In Flanders Field. And they would read about poppies that were planted over the graves of soldiers who had died in World War I. They would tell us about the first observances of, of decorating the graves of fallen soldiers after the Civil War. And where Memorial Day came from and the history of Memorial Day. And how uh, it wasn't really ensconced within our national memory until the late 1960s. And then officially dedicated and set aside as the last Monday in May in 1971. They would tell all of these stories. And then taps would play. And there would be a military salute. And then our family, we would walk as a family, we would walk over to this grave, in fact, a number of graves. 
And we would see there this grave, the grave of Ronald Joe Markle. The eldest, the eldest brother of my mom and her siblings. And as a young boy, I would stand and gaze upon that grave. Uh, I would wonder, what was he like? This was one of the pictures that hung in my grandparents' house. What was he like? What did he like? I knew he liked to ride horses. I didn't know, I didn't know a whole lot else about my uncle, though. I wondered what else, what it would be like as a, as a kid to grow up with another uncle. I wondered what he thought as he was in that country called Vietnam. As I grew older, I wondered about the claim that was often affixed to his life and to his sacrifice, the claim that went something like this, that we honor those who have given their lives so that we can be free. And I simply had lots of questions about how did my uncle's life, given in a place like Vietnam, continue this sense of freedom that we have here in our own country? There was a question that was bubbling up and present within my own soul. The questions that came in those moments were seldom answered in that time and place. I really don't know why the questions didn't have answers from the family that was present. Maybe it's that we were all simply asking the questions deep within. But one thing I do know was that Memorial Day gave us as a family, and it gave many people, time to draw away from the, the crush and the pace, the high pace of life. And it gave us a space to think deeply about what was happening in our world where we were headed, what we were doing. Leighton Ford, in a called The Attentive Life, says that coming to a place where we can give great attention to life and to events that are happening in our own life and to the world in which we live is very difficult because, he says, we are a very distractible people living in a very distractible world. And so I want to suggest to you as we begin today that Memorial Day can be a great place to pull aside from the distractions of our world and to pay attention and to pay heed to a question that comes from the pages of Scripture, a question that comes from the story of Hagar in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 16. If you have your Bibles with you and you'd like to turn there, if you have an iPad or an iPhone or some other sort of reading device and you'd like to turn there, um, I would encourage you to do so. I'm just going to kind of tell the story, but if you'd like to read it, it's all there in its, in its glory and in its um, guts. 
it's, it's plainly present there in chapter 16. Hagar is a slave girl. She's an Egyptian slave girl who is given to two people that we typically call by the name of Abraham and Sarah. But at this moment, within the scope of Genesis, their names are Abram and Sarai. And Abram and Sarai went down to Egypt, and as they were leaving Egypt, coming back to the land of, of promise, they're given a slave girl, and her name is Hagar. And Hagar travels with Abraham and Sarah back into the land of promise. Now this land of promise is something that Abraham keeps telling everyone who's traveling with him that God has promised to give us this country, give us this land. And when he means us, he means myself and the children that I'm supposed to have. And everyone looks around at Abraham and, and they say, Abraham, you don't have any children yet. He says, I know I don't have any children yet, but I'm supposed to have some because God said I'm going to have some children. And so this is the land of promise for me and for my household. And uh, everyone said, well, this is going to be interesting. How is God going to do this? And everyone was wondering about that. And, and one day, Sarah said to Abraham, Abraham, you've been talking about this land that God's going to give to you and to your children, but you don't have any children. And I'm getting along in years. I think it's time that we do something that we see happening in the rest of the culture. In the rest of the culture, when somebody can't have, have a child, they end up finding somebody who can be a surrogate. Abraham, how about taking Hagar as a surrogate, having a child with, with Hagar? And so this is a plan that Abraham and Sarah see, see lived out in their world, within their culture, and so they put it into place. And Hagar becomes pregnant. She becomes the surrogate one who's going to carry the child, at least they think the child, that will inherit this land of promise. But along the way, as they are in this spot where Hagar is pregnant and uh, Sarah has what she thinks she's wanted and Abraham thinks he's, going to, uh, he's about to receive what he's been promised and what he's been praying for, uh, Sarah and Hagar have interactions that begin to quelch the excitement and the joy of, of this oncoming pregnancy. Because Sarah starts to notice Hagar looking at her, or at least we, we suspect that Sarah sees Hagar looking at her differently. Sarah at least goes to Abraham and says, Abraham, there is a problem. There's a deep problem. Hagar looks down upon me from her position. And he says, what do you mean she looks down upon you? She says, well, she's pregnant and I'm not. Well, that's an obvious thing at this point in our lives. Yes, she is. She says, but somehow now because I am not pregnant and I've not been able to give you a, a, the promised child, I am of a lesser value. Hagar is a problem. And Abraham says to, to Sarah, okay, will you deal with her in the way in which you want to deal with her? And so Sarah begins to berate Hagar. Berate, we don't really know the extent to which um, Sarah, Sarah goes in, this, in her conduct towards Hagar. But what we do know, the, the writer from the book of Genesis tells us this, that she begins to, be, <clears throat> to, to um, be so rude to Hagar that Hagar finally comes to the place where she runs away. She runs away from this place where she's a slave, where she's been kept, and she runs headed toward Egypt. This is the place, a very interesting place, where Hagar has an interaction with a messenger from God. 
Hagar is pregnant. She's come from a place where she's been uh, accosted in many, many ways. And she's headed toward a place that gave her as a slave to somebody else. Um, you've heard the saying, stuck between a rock and a hard place. Hagar is more than, than in that place. She's like, that's the penultimate place. And in the middle, in the middle, she's in the desert. And she stops at a well. At the well, a messenger from God comes along. And the messenger asks Hagar a question. It's a very profound question. It's a question that could sit well with us when we have a moment to come aside from the hurry of life, when we have a moment to simply sit and dwell and reflect. This messenger from God comes along and says, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? Where have you come from? Where are you going? I suspect if Hagar was a guy, she probably would have replied with directions, right? Like, I was over there, and I'm going over there. <clears throat> Hagar doesn't reply with directions. She replies with this, I'm running away from my mistress. It's an interesting line. It's a line that means more than just I'm, I'm leaving this place. It's packed full of all kinds of meaning. Like I really don't know where I'm going. She doesn't answer that question. And I'm running away from my mistress can be unpacked in all kinds of ways. That question that the angel brings to her, the angel or the messenger, is a question that Hagar just begins to sit with and dwell with. And she begins to wonder, what is the weight of my life? What is the significance of my life? What's the arc? What's the direction of my life? Where am I going? I've left this one place but this next place that I'm headed to, is it any better from where I've left? After she responds, God's messenger begins to speak to Hagar. And he begins to tell her some things. The first thing he says is that you ought to return to the house of Abraham. And then as he does, he continues to say to her things about what God intends to do for Hagar herself and for the child that she carries. The messenger begins to say, Hagar, you've been seen by God. God knows about the child that you're carrying. God wants to do a blessing in his life. Um, God is going to overlook your life, Hagar. And the writer tells us that Hagar is deeply surprised in fact, she names the well that she's been having this conversation at 
as, as a well, she says, as, this is the place where I found out that God sees me. This is the well where God sees. Hagar is surprised by that. The fact that God sees her because she, like Abraham and Sarah, expects God to see only certain people. And she never expected that she was the type of person whom God could look at and see and know. In the desert, at the well, the distractions disappear. And Hagar begins to experience the presence of God. And Hagar begins to see with different eyes. She begins to see this God that Abraham has been speaking about. She begins to see that God, <clears throat> that the God who visits Abraham has also visited her. That the God who has been mindful of Abraham is mindful of her. This vision of God caring for her changes the arc of her life. It transforms her. Because when she was out there, or before she went there, she saw herself as a slave girl, as an outcast. But now she is somebody who's blessed. She's somebody who has a purpose and a calling. She's somebody who's cherished by God. She's somebody who, because of God's presence in her life, uh, has opportunities that she's never seen before. And so she returns to the tent of Abraham and Sarah. Not as a victim, not as a superior, not as a slave girl, but she returns to their tents as one whom God pays attention to and one who will pay attention to God. As you read through the story of Hagar, as I read through it, the reality for many of us is that we can have a hard time identifying with it. Because for many of us, we come from a very different vantage point of life. Hagar is somebody who's, who's lived very different lives from many of us. And yet the, the question that comes to her is a question that is, is is a good question for all of us to take in and to consider. This question of where have you come from? Where are you going? It's a question that meets us in unlikely places. Sometimes it meets us as we're, as we're down the road someplace, or sometimes it meets us when we're at the quiet, uh, in the quiet of our own, of our own dwelling. I would suggest to you that on days like Memorial Day, it's good to hear those kinds of questions come close to us again. On the quiet of the morning or the quiet of the evening. Or maybe you'll be out on the lake somewhere and you'll be drifting along or you'll be floating someplace. And you'll be thinking about all kinds of things. Maybe those are the places where it's good to hear this question. 
and wrestle with it. Where have you come from? Where are you going? And also a second question that goes along with it. And what is God up to in the midst of your life? Last night, one of my sons was flipping through a news magazine that we get at our house. And he came across the story of the schoolgirls from Nigeria who were taken by the, uh, by the people known as Boko Haram. And he began to read through that. And his heart was disquieted within him. He was deeply concerned. And he came and he started to look stuff up on a computer, like, have they been able to find the girls? Have they been able to track them down? And then he entered into a conversation with my wife. And then they brought me into the mix and they said, you know, what can be done about this? I said, I don't know. They're searching, they're looking. She said, well, what is our country doing about this? What is our military doing? And I said, I don't think we're doing a whole lot right now. And she said, well, why not? I said, I don't know. But as I think about that question, I think it takes us back to a whole nother question. As a nation, as a people, where have we come from and where are we going? See, the questions like, the questions like what we face on a daily basis interlace and go back to the sense about where have we come from and what and where are we going? Because it asks us, like, what do we value? Deep down, what do we value? Deep down, what are we after? Deep down, what are we pursuing? Some of you know that there's a research project that's underway here at Schweitzer called, um, it's a Skunk Works project, we're calling it that, for Transformation Hub. One of our, one of our um, four goals for, for Schweitzer going into the year ahead and as a part of that, that research project, a number of us have been talking with other people in our community. And it's been a, a very enlightening thing as we go and we've, we've done some research within our own community and talked with other people. Because we've found out as, we've, as we listen that other people within our own community are asking deep questions about how we address poverty within our own community. And they're asking questions about how we've We've dealt with poverty in the past, and we might want to deal with poverty into the future. As we've done a number of um, interviews, it's become clear to me that there are other people within our own, our own neighborhood who are asking the question, where have we come from and where are we going? One of the beautiful things about that is, is the reality that, that God is at work. Because other people are asking the question, where have we come from and where are we going? Um, that question is a question that can be applied in lots of places. You can think about it on a national scope and a world scope. You can think about it in a scope of, within a, the scope of a city. You can think about the question, where have you come from and where are you going, within your family, within your own life, within your vocation, within institutions, with things that you find 
valuable and precious to you. Yesterday I read a, an article about a, a guy who was thinking about publishing houses. Evidently there's some stir out there about Amazon and how they're going to interrelate with other people who publish material. And this author was saying, um, there's lots of small publishing houses. He wanted to make a claim that lots of things ought to continue to exist. Where have we come from? Where are we going? What are the institutions that you value? Where will they be in the future? Where have they come from? What is God doing in the midst of our world? As I was thinking about this day to day, last week I was thinking about it. I was sitting down here during the 940 service. And we had taken, or uh, the offering had taken place. And Adam was leading the folks who were gathered here in a song. And right behind where I sit at 940, there was a, a young man who was singing the song that we were all singing. And, and it, the title of the song is Oceans, or the subtitle is Where Feet May Fail. And this young man was singing. And then he stood and he sang. And that question about where have we come from and where are we going? With the next question, what is God doing? I sat and I listened to him sing. Because he was singing in my ear, but he wasn't just singing in my ear. He was singing about God being present in the life of a young person who is paying attention and who is longing after God and who is longing for God's story to be written upon his heart and for his story to be written into the story of God. I sat and I listened. Because that's what God wants to do with all of us. He wants our stories to be written into his story. And for us to be able to sing and give praise and to rejoice. I told you at the beginning of this time together that uh, when I was a young boy, I stood at a grave. And I had lots of questions. And I looked down at the grave and wondered what was my, what was my uncle like? A couple of years ago, my sister said, uh, I don't know where we were at, but she said, did you ever notice that when we went swimming, mom never went, she never had her head below the water? I said, yeah, I noticed it, but I, I never understood it. She said, did you ever hear the story about when she was really young? No. She said, one day, my mom and my uncle were out playing around a, a water trough. My, my grandfather milked cows at the time. And they were playing a, around a water trough. And my mom fell in. And my uncle tried to get her out, but he couldn't. And so he ran to the house. 
and he got my grandparents, and they ran out to the water trough, and they rescued my mom. That meant that my mom wouldn't swim with her head below water. It also meant that I had to take swimming lessons later in life. But as I reflected upon, um, there's lots of things I don't know about my uncle. But one thing I do know is this, that I'm present in this world today because of an action that a very young boy took who I would never meet. That was a kind of action I could understand. And I also realized that there's something deep about the place where I come from. And there's something mysterious about where I'm heading. And over and under and way before I was ever here and long before and, and long after I'll leave this world, I find in the midst of it all that God has been present. And where I come from is a story that I can't quite fully understand. And where I'm going is a story that I don't fully see yet. But God is present. God called Hagar to pay attention to him. God calls you and me to pay attention to him, to see what he's up to, to imagine where you've come from, to imagine where you're headed, and to connect with his story.